Well, Abraham Lincoln, uh, a president we think of as one of the most popular presidents of all time, truth is, initially he was reviled. He was hated by many people. When he came into office, it was with 40% of the popular vote, just 40%. And, and there were many people out there who disliked him uh, so much that they snuck him into Washington, D.C. on a night train hoping that he wouldn't be assassinated before he was sworn into office. Even the leaders of his own party didn't like him. Now, it was because these guys, these rivals, had huge egos, and many of them had run against him in the presidential race, including from his own party, a governor, four senators, and a congressman. And they looked down their noses at Mr. Lincoln. So Lincoln responded to them just like we'd expect. He made them members of his cabinet. <laughs> He made them members of his team. In fact, Doris Kearns Goodwin, a Pulitzer Prize winning author, has written a best-selling book on the topic called Team of Rivals. And in the book, she describes Lincoln as having genius when it comes to relationships. Here's a guy who knew how to take people with whom he was having conflict and make them his friends. An example of this is right after the Civil War. His advisors came to him and said, Mr. Lincoln, you ought to destroy the southern states. And Lincoln's response, a famous quote of his, was, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Well, w welcome to the second week of a three-part series on resolving conflict. Uh, this series we're calling Rock, Paper, Scissors, and today we're going to talk about how to make the people with whom we're experiencing conflict, how to make them into friends. We're going to study a conflict resolution process that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. So if you brought a Bible, which I hope you did, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, Matthew 18, there's an outline in your program. I would encourage you to fill it out and post it someplace because these are the four steps that you want to follow in order to resolve the next conflict you find yourself in. Last weekend, we talked about how to get ready, how to prepare before a conflict gets resolved. Today, it's the means of resolving that conflict. Jesus taught the conflict resolution ought to be a top priority for his followers. One of Jesus' most famous sayings recorded in the Sermon on the Mount are the words, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's going to be the title of our study today. Uh, last weekend, we learned that people typically follow one of two approaches, extreme approaches, when it comes to resolving conflict. It's typically either flight or fight. Okay, it's either flight, you run away from the conflict, you ignore it, you hope it goes away. Or it's fight, you roll up your sleeves like you're marching into battle, you're going to duke it out. Well, friends, Jesus taught a third approach, he taught peacemaking. He taught conflict resolution. And today we're going to learn how to do it. There are four steps to the process, but before we begin looking at those four steps, a word of introduction. If your Bible is open, uh, Matthew chapter 18, I want you to drop down to verse 15. Let me read the opening words. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So before we consider the four steps to the peacemaking, the conflict resolution process, we need to understand when, okay, when to put this process into practice. 
Is this a process that applies to every little bit of conflict that we face numerous times in the course of a day? No. Go, go back to verse 15. If you've got your own Bible, you want to circle the word sins. If your brother or sister sins. So the inference here is that somebody has done something wrong, something that constitutes a sin, something that God's word says, the Bible says, is wrong. So Jesus is not teaching us to go around confronting people just because they've annoyed us or they've hurt our feelings or they've failed to live up to our expectations. Conflict resolution has to do with sin, has to do with obvious wrongdoing. And even then, even when it's a matter of sin, now listen, even when it's a matter of sin, the Bible teaches that sometimes it's best to overlook another person's transgressions. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 says, love covers a multitude of another person's sins. Ephesians 4, verse 2 says that we should be patient, we should bear with one another even their sins in love. So sometimes we shouldn't make a big deal out of another person's sins. Sometimes we should just overlook them. So how do we know when? How do we know when the sin problem is significant enough to address? How do we know when the conflict resolution process that Jesus teaches here in Matthew 18 should be put into practice? Let, let, let me give you four quick questions that will help you determine, is this a situation where I should just overlook another person's sins, or is this a situation in which I ought to address the conflict? Four questions to ask yourself. This is all introduction. Okay, the, the first question is this. Am I leaking toxic words? Okay, this is a question you ask yourself. Am I leaking toxic words? See, I could kid myself into thinking that I've overlooked somebody's sins. So I'm being magnanimous. I'm being a good guy. I'm just saying it doesn't really matter. And, and yet when I talk to that person, there are often angry words or sarcastic words coming out of my mouth. Or when I talk about them to somebody else, there's uh, gossip involved. When toxic words are coming out of my mouth, I'm not dealing well with that other person's transgressions. I need to go directly to them and speak to them. You following me? Here's another question to ask myself. Okay, let's put it up there. Is this person's behavior damaging our relationship? And again, i got to stop kidding myself. If I think I'm being a good guy and I'm overlooking their sins, but in reality I'm avoiding them, I don't want to see them. If I run into them at Target and they're down another aisle, I'm going to go to a different aisle with my cart, you know, just don't want to talk, giving them the silent treatment, then I'm not dealing with it. I need to go to them directly. we got to talk about this. Here's a third question to ask yourself if you're wondering, is this a confrontable offense or not? Is this person's behavior hurting themselves? Okay, I may want to, want to ignore it, but is it hurting them? You know, are they drinking too much? Are they getting into Boku debt? Okay, are people at work, are, is their, their repu reputation tarnished at work or at, at school? Nobody wants anything to do. They're damaging themselves. Maybe I need to address the problem. And, and then the last question is, is their behavior damaging? Is it hurting other people? 
Okay, are they cheating somebody else? Are they slandering somebody else? Are they abusing someone? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then it's time to engage this four-step conflict resolution process that Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. You with me so far? Okay, so here's step one in the conflict resolution process. I call it the right objective. You got to come with the right objective. So look again at verse 15, and this time I'm going to read the entire verse with a special emphasis on the last line. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now get this. If they listen, you have won them over. You have won them over. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your word. So what should our objective be when we go to resolve a conflict with somebody else, according to the verse we just read? It's to win them over. To win them. You say, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It means that our objective is not to vent. Okay, we, we don't go because we want to get something off our chest. You know, because we want to give them a piece of our mind. No. Our, our objective is, is not to strike a blow for truth and justice. No. Our objective is not to see them groveling before us because of the wrongdoing. No. Our, our objective is not, according to Jesus in the verse I just read, Matthew 18, verse 15, it's not to win over them. That's what I've just been describing. The objective is to win them over. See the difference between just, just a change of word order there. Big difference. Big difference between win over them and win them over. To win over them means you're trying to come out on top. There's some verbal sparring going on, and you're going to win. To win them over means you're seeking to restore a relationship, the relationship with you and the relationship with God. So let me say a word or two about each of those relationships. First, their relationship with God. See, if, if their behavior is definitely sinful... Then, friends, they've not been enjoying a close relationship, fellowship with God, and that should be our number one concern for them, their relationship with God. I want you to notice something about the context of the passage that we're looking at today, okay? We, we've begun in Matthew 18, verse 15, but, but you know that context is important, right? The context of the passage you're looking at. So if your Bible's open, I want you to look at the paragraph above verse 15, Okay, that paragraph in your Bible probably has, probably has a header to it. Okay, you see the, the title? It says in my Bible, the parable of the lost sheep, the wandering sheep. You see that? This is a story about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep in his fold, but one of them wanders off, rebellious little lamb, and it gets itself entangled. And what is the shepherd's reaction to it? This is a story Jesus told you may be familiar with. Does the shepherd say, well, you know, that lamb got itself in a mess. It can get itself out of the mess. You know, the shepherd says, I'm going to leave 99 sheep in the fold. I'm going to go looking for that little bugger until I find it. 
And the shepherd goes looking and finally disentangles it and puts the lamb over his shoulders and brings it home and rejoices that the lamb has been found. And Jesus tells this story because this is a picture of how God, the shepherd, looks for us. Every one of us has wandered off. We've all gone our own way, and God comes seeking us. He comes seeking us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sends to planet Earth to lay down his life on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin. He wants to disentangle, extricate us from our sin. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you put your trust fully in him, you're forgiven and you're given new life. The good shepherd has found you and he's brought you home. He's restored your relationship with him. So just after Jesus tells this story, he begins to give us instructions how to reconcile relationships with other people. So the, the thought here is we ought to be just like that shepherd. We ought to go after people for the primary purpose of restoring their relationship with God. You get it? Good. When, when you're in the midst of a confrontation, think about that. My, my, my major goal here is to see this person restored to a relationship with God. And then the second relationship we want to see restored is the relationship with us. A week or so ago, a friend of mine said something to me that was, uh, it was a bit demeaning. It had a, a nasty, sarcastic edge to it. And I walked away from that conversation and I brooded on it a little bit. And I thought, well, you know, this is one of those sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. I'll just forget about it. And two days later, I was still thinking about it. I hadn't forgotten about it. And so I knew, based on those questions I gave you earlier, I needed to go. I needed to address this. And I, I went to him and I said, you know, a couple days ago you said this. And that's how it came across. And here's how it felt to me. And I paused. And my, my friend, who's a good bud, he said, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And I walked away from that experience thinking to myself how easy it would have been to allow that conflict to fester. And instead, all it, all it took was a simple addressing uh, of the problem, and we were restored. That's, that's the objective, to restore a person's relationship with God, to restore the relationship with us, to win people over. Not to win over people, but to win them over. Number two, the right approach. The right approach. Go back to Matthew 18, verse 15. By the way, we're going to work our way backward through this verse, okay? So we've sort of begun with the last sentence that the right objective is to win people over. Now I want you to back up a sentence to the middle of the verse, and we're going to park on that phrase, just between the two of you. You see that? Just between the two of you. When it comes time to address a conflict with somebody else, Jesus says we're to do it one-on-one, one-on-one. Now, let's be honest with ourselves here. Friends, this is not how we most often address conflict, is it? We typically don't go directly to the other person and put our, our cards on the table. We typically air it to other people. For example, if you're, you're, you're an adult and you've got adult siblings, have you ever had a situation where one of them did something that aggravates you? And what, what did you do? You went to the other siblings and you said, you know what they did to me? to me or you went to your elderly parents now stop and think about it you're, you're a grown-up and you're still snitching on your siblings like, like, like you're a grade schooler 
What, what other situations do we find ourselves in where we leak conflict to others? Do you, you have a cubicle buddy at work who you talk to when the boss mistreats you? His sad boss. Or do you go to your circle of friends in the school cafeteria at lunchtime and complain about another student who has dissed you in some way? Or do you share the conflict that you're having with another person with your community group just so they can pray for that person, of course? Jesus says we should be talking directly, directly to the person we're having the problem with, just between the two of you. I've got a friend named Freddie. It's not his real name, but I'm protecting the innocent here. Uh, protecting the guilty, actually. So, so Freddie's got a problem with his neighbor. Freddie's neighbor drives a beater car and parks it in front of Freddie's house. Just drives Freddie nuts. So what, what does Freddie do? Does Freddie go to the neighbor, ring the doorbell, say, excuse me, if you wouldn't mind, I'd appreciate it if you'd park your car in front of your own house. No. Fre Freddie waits until this guy leaves his car on the street overnight in front of his house. And that's against the law in our town. You could get a ticket for that. And so Freddie calls the police and has the guy's car ticketed. Now, why am I telling you this? It's not to shame Freddie. Uh, even though he lives in another state, he may be watching this live stream. So Freddie, it's not to... Not to shame you. It's to illustrate something I'm guilty of, you're guilty of. Instead of going directly, one-on-one, -on -one, to the person we've got the conflict with, we have a tendency to talk to, to other people about it who shouldn't be engaged at this point. See, most often, the best way to address a conflict, the best approach is to go directly to that person. Now, I say most often because there, there may be instances in which it's not best to go one-on-one, -on -one, to go directly. Uh, Ken Sandy talks about this in his book, The Peacemaker. I told you last weekend that if you get one book on the subject of, of conflict resolution, get Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, or the shorter version, uh, which is called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And I want to read an excerpt from his book. This is the book that's been translated into 15 different languages. He says, the Bible clearly commends face-to-face -face meetings as an important step in reconciling people, but it does not teach that this is the only way to begin a reconciliation process. In fact, it is sometimes better to involve other people in resolving a conflict before trying to meet personally with someone who's wronged you. It's sometimes better to involve other people. What is he talking about? What sorts of situations? Well, he gives some examples in his book, okay, like abuse. If you know somebody who is abusing a child, okay, you, you don't need to go directly to them. You need to go directly to the authorities. That's a reportable offense. Okay, if there's somebody who has sinned in the same way again and again and again, and it's, it's obvious that you going to them individually is probably not going to do any good. It's time to get other people involved. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. If somebody has sinned, but they've not necessarily sinned against you, they, you know, they've sinned in a more general way, maybe, maybe against the organization for which you work. So if they're stealing from your company, maybe it's not best that you go to them. Maybe you need to tell a boss or a supervisor about it. If it's a student selling drugs at school, maybe you need to go to a, a guidance counselor or a principal about it. 
Okay, if your parents are duking it out in the home with each other, maybe you need to find somebody else, if you're the kid, to, to bring into the situation. So there may be occasions when it's best not to go directly. However, I want you to see that in every one of the examples I just gave, the best approach is still to handle the problem as directly as possible. So you never, never, ever have the excuse to air it with the wrong people. To talk to people who don't need to know the problem. So the right approach, go directly, go one-on-one. Number three, the right words. The right words. Go back to Matthew 18, 15 one more time. We've almost made it back to the beginning of the verse. Let me zero in on the second phrase of the verse. If your brother or sister sins, here's the phrase we want to look at. Go and point out their fault. Go Now, now again, let's be honest with ourselves. Doesn't this sound like a recipe for disaster? (laughs) Go and point out their fault. Does that ever work? In, In fact, doesn't Jesus say somewhere else that this is not a good idea? See, I'm thinking of that passage, Matthew chapter 7, the opening verses to that passage, even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I'll bet you know these, these verses where Jesus says, don't judge one another. Remember that? You've heard that before. Don't, don't judge. And then uh, Jesus underscores that principle with a little colorful analogy. He says, don't try to get the speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. If you got a wood plank in your own eye... So so don't point out people's faults is what it sounds like in Matthew 7. And yet here in Matthew 18, verse 15, we're encouraged to go and point someone's fault out to them. So what's the deal? Well, the deal is we got to be careful not to misread Matthew chapter 7. So when Jesus tells us not to judge others, he's talking about the wrong kind of fault finding. He's talking about the kind of fault-finding that's prideful and condescending and hypocritical and it's motivated by a desire to vent, to win over them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. But here in Matthew 18, verse 15, where, where Jesus says, go and point out someone's faults, it's for an entirely different objective. Remember the objective? That was our first point. The objective is to restore them to a relationship with God and to us, to win them over. See, you see, if that's your objective, if you go with the objective to win them over, you're going to be very careful about what words come out of your mouth. You know, you're going to be careful to avoid words that are prideful and condescending and hypercritical and, and angry. Uh, I began in ministry years ago as a youth pastor in a suburb of Boston, small church. And it was a pretty cool gig, you know. Our youth ministry, student ministries people, they have a lot of fun. And so it gave me a chance to ride my motorcycle and take people on ski trips and play late night games of risk and talk to them about Jesus, of course. Come on, work with me. That was like, all right. And I remember the first ski trip we took. Okay, we would go up to Vermont. And because there were a lot of kids coming, we had to get multiple cars and drivers and so I recruited parents to do the driving and so we're coming back from Vermont through Boston and one of the dads was a really pokey driver I mean the dude was driving like five to ten miles below the speed limit so I finally got tired of following him and I zoomed out around him and went on my way I ended up at the church parking lot about half an hour before he did 
there's a chance I was driving too fast. Okay. So when he got there, he was incensed. And I, you know, I'll never forget this. He marched over. I was surrounded by students, and he reamed me out. He dressed me down up one side and down the other about how fast I'd been driving and the way I'd endangered the kids' lives. And, and, and the part I'll never forget is he concluded his lecture by finger poking me in the chest and saying, think about it, Jim, think about it. Now, how many of you think that that, that made a dramatic positive transformation in my driving? <laughs> what, what it did was stuck in my mind for several decades. You know how this guy had scalded me with his words. I mean, the only fun I get out of this is that every once in a while, Sue loves to tease me with that. She'll poke me in the chest and go, think about it, Jim, think about it, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> If we plan to go to somebody else and point out their faults, we'd better pay attention to the, the, the words that we use and how they're coming across to the other person. Okay, Proverbs 16, verse 21 says, gracious words promote instruction. I love that. Okay, you, you, you want to promote instruction, you, you want to bring this person to an awareness of, the, of their problem, gracious words promote instruction. Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, uh, he says that, that using the right words in a conflict resolution process are so critical that it's, listen to this, it's advisable to rehearse the words you're going to use out loud ahead of time. I mean, speak them to a mirror if necessary. So let me give you a handful of characteristics to consider when you're choosing the right words. Okay, here are the kinds of words to use. I'll give you three or four characteristics. There, there are many more we could talk about. First, gentle, gentle words. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentle, G gentle words means we turn down the volume, we turn down the intensity. We very deliberately start talking softer and slower. And we don't use profanity. Okay, if you're doing a conflict resolution thing, you, you just don't throw in four-letter words. Here's another characteristic. Humble words. You know, th this means before you point out the other person's fault, you, you might want to recognize your own contributions to the problem. You, you, you might want to apologize in part for anything you've contributed to the problem. You know, one of the things I love about Ken Sandy's book, The, the Peacemaker, is that he gives lots of practical, uh, this is how you should say it paragraphs. So I find that uh, immensely helpful. For example, if you've had a heated exchange with somebody and you're now going to, to reconcile, Ken Sandy says, you, you might want to say something like this. You know, I'll really work at what I say in the future. In fact, I'd appreciate it if you'd let me know if you ever hear me talking like that again. Now, in the same way, I believe there's some things that you could do differently in the future that might help to avoid similar problems. May I explain what I mean? I read that and I thought, that is so wise. So to begin by saying, hey, okay, I'm sorry for what I said, and in the future, hold me accountable. Now, now if you wouldn't mind, can I address you know, how you could help resolve this problem for the two of us? Humble words. Let me give you one more characteristic about the right kinds of words. Clarifying words. 
clarifying, instead of lecturing the other person, you know, can, can you give me an example of what you mean? Now, again, it's important how you say this. Well, like, give me an example of what you're talking about. That's another way to say it. But if you say, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding this, like maybe if you gave me an example. Or, or you say something like, hey, let me see if I understand what you're saying here. And you repeat to them what you think you've heard. And if nothing else, it shows them that you're listening. And let me remind you, something we learned last week. We learned last week to doubt your own rightness. Okay, let me just remind you, you could be wrong. You could have misunderstood their behavior. And so by asking clarifying questions, you're giving them the opportunity to explain before you jump to conclusions. You get it? Good. The right objective, you go to restore the person. You go to win them over. The right approach, you go one-on-one. -on -one. You go directly to them. You don't air it with other people. The right words, you use words that are gentle and humble and clarifying. Fourth, the right help. The right help. Now, last week, we looked at five lengthy, sweeping Bible stories and five different books of the Bible. Today we're drilling down into a single verse, Matthew 18, verse 15. So for this last step in the confrontation process, I'm going to expand our text by two more verses, okay? So if your Bible's open to Matthew 18, 15, look at the next two verses, verse 16. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, do you follow the gist of Jesus' instructions here? See, Jesus is living in the land of reality, friends. He knows that even if we address a conflict with somebody and we have the right objective to restore the relationship with God and with us, and we've got the right approach, we've gone to them directly, and we're using all the right words that are gentle and humble and clarifying, there's still a good chance the other person's going to blow us off. You know, that they contradict everything we say, or they get defensive, or, or maybe they just explode, erupt with anger. And then what do we do? See, is the conflict resolution process, is it toast at that point? Not yet. See, there's, there's still another step we can take. We can bring in outside help. We can include another person or, or more to serve as a, a mediator to help us break the impasse. Now, let, let me give you very quickly, let me give you three qualities to look for. If you're going to bring in another person to serve as a mediator, you know, you followed the first three steps of the conflict resolution process in Matthew 18, verse 15, with no success. You're bringing in another person. What kind of a person should you look for? Three characteristics to look for. Number one, that they're a Christ follower. Now, this doesn't mean that a person who's not a Christ follower is a total bust. They might be a good mediator. But it's important to remember that these instructions in Matthew 18 are instructions that Jesus is giving to his followers. To his fo so, so he's assuming here you're going to bring in somebody else who's a follower of his. And the advantage here, friend, is that if you bring in a Christ follower to act as a mediator, they're going to have that objective that you have of restoring the person to a relationship with God. 
They're going to they're have biblical values and moral standards. They're going to be a prayer. They're going to be praying beforehand and during and after the conflict resolution. So go with a Christ follower. Second characteristic to look for. Go with someone who is perceived as fair. Perceived as fair. See, both sides need to see the mediator as unbiased, as, as fair. If either side sees the mediator as being in the hip pocket of the other person, there will be no respect for that person as a mediator. Now, when I say unbiased, I, I don't mean that the mediator shouldn't have any opinion about the matter. Okay, they might. See, if I'm confronting you because I feel like you're drinking too much and I bring in a mediator, the, the, the mediator might also feel like you're drinking too much, but as long as you value their input, as long as you respect that person, we're, we're good. So it's important, and it's difficult to do, let me tell you. It's difficult to say, hey, I feel like we're getting nowhere with this resolution process. Do you mind if I bring in somebody else? And you suggest a name or two, and if they shoot it down, you say, well, who would you recommend? You come up with somebody who's perceived as fair. Thirdly, you come up with somebody who's in the know. Who's in the know? Look, look again at the second half of verse 16. Jesus says that the goal of bringing in a mediator is so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In, in other words, the mediator is a person who's somewhat aware of the situation. They have witnessed. They have witnessed the problem themselves. They have some of the same concerns for the offender that, that you do. You following this? So if you try to address a conflict with somebody one-on-one -on -one and you get nowhere, maybe it's time to look for the, the right help, a mediator to go back with you and address the problem again. Maybe that mediator, maybe it's your community group leader. Maybe that mediator is a counselor, a Christian counselor, therapist. Maybe that mediator is a supervisor at work who's a wise person or it's a teacher at school that, that, that you can trust. Okay, you look for a mediator. If, if you're a student, a middle school, high school student, it may be one of the leaders in the student ministries that, that you tap and say, hey, could you help me resolve this, this problem I'm having with somebody else? And Jesus says... If that step doesn't work, now look at verse 17. Then you tell it to the church. What does that mean? Does that mean you show up for a weekend service at Christ Community Church, one of our four campuses, and you pop to your feet and you say, attention, announcement. Don't do that, please. Now, it, it means if, if you're working on conflict resolution with the person who remains belligerent. You've followed the three steps, first three steps of the conflict resolution process, and now you've gone to step four, and you've brought in somebody else, and they're blowing everybody else off, and they, they happen to go to the same church you do, and their problem is a really big problem, then the leaders of the church may have to step in and exercise some disciplinary measure. Around Christ Community Church, that, that, that means you may, you may have to be removed from the area in which you're serving or from your community group or from some position of leadership until we could get this thing sorted out. Now, again, you're probably thinking, well, <laughs> that sounds like a disaster. I mean, what, what good could possibly come of that? I got the church involved. 
Well, let me tell you a story, and I'll wrap up with this. Best way to uh, respond to the question, what good would that do, is to give you a story of what good it did do. Some years ago, we had a lead vocalist on our worship team. So someone who was on our platform at the St. Charles campus every, uh, every weekend, everybody knew who he was, and he began an affair with a woman in the church. Now, fortunately for him, he had some good buds who knew the Matthew 18 process, and so individually, these people went to him and addressed the problem, and he just blew them off. So then these buds got together, and they brought his community group, and they addressed the situation and said, you've got to stop doing this. You're a married man. She's a married woman. And he blew them off. So then they brought in leaders from the church, okay, again, just going according to the book, Matthew chapter 18. And when he blew us off, the, the pastors, we had to take action. We had to tell the church, according to Matthew 18. And so because everybody knew him, we, we had to say, you know, why we were removing him from the platform. Around Christ Community Church, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that, you know, like any church, there's going to be an occasional train wreck, but we're pretty straightforward about our train wrecks. We're pretty open about them. So, so did that work? Well, he got really mad at us. And, and, and by the way, just an aside here, if you're in a position of leadership, you, you, you know the reality of what I'm about to say. If you're a supervisor at work or you're a leader in the church or you're just a mom and dad in the home, occasionally you have to discipline somebody and if that somebody goes and complains to others about how they've been mistreated by the leaders, okay, you know how painful that is to endure people second-guessing your leadership. And I just want to say around Christ Community Church, if you run into that, please don't be so gullible as to believe everything you hear from an angry person who's been disciplined, all right? So back to, to my story. So this guy leaves the church, and he divorces his wife, and the gal divorces her husband, and they get married, and for years they don't go to church anywhere. And fast forward a number of years, they decide it's time to go back to church. They miss church. They pick out a new church in the community, and they begin to attend, and then they want to become members. And as they're going through the membership process, the leaders of that church ask the question, why did you leave your previous church? So now this couple, who are a bit broken over their past behavior, they're a bit remorseful. They come clean. They're honest. And the leaders of that new church say, well, before you could become members here, you got to go make it right with Christ Community Church. And so we get a phone call. Can we meet with the elders? Well, sure. And they come in, and very tearfully, very brokenly, they say, we are so sorry. Not only for our immoral behavior, but we're so sorry that we turned down every voice that came our way to warn us this is not a good thing to do. We turned a deaf ear to you. Would you forgive us? We went through a whole box of Kleenex at that elders meeting. There was a lot of crying and a lot of hugging and a lot of restoring. So don't tell me that Matthew 18 doesn't work. I've seen it work. And when it works, it's a beautiful thing. We're going to close. We're going to sing a song about how Jesus kindly welcomes us just as we are. He's the good shepherd who seeks us out, who wants us to go after lost sheep through this conflict resolution process. 
and bring them back to God and bring them back to us. But let, let me just remind you of the four steps of this process. The first is to have the right objective. You go with the intention to restore. You go like a shepherd looking for a sheep you want to bring home. Secondly, the right approach, you go one-on-one. -on -one. You go directly. You don't air it with other people. In fact, if you've been doing that about a conflict situation in your life right now, before we close the service, you take time to repent before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been spreading this far and wide. I've got to shut up. I've got to deal with this directly. You go with the right words. You go with words that are gentle and humble and clarifying. And if need be, you look for the right help. And maybe that's the stage you're at some conflict in your life right now, you've tried the previous steps and nothing's worked, maybe it's time to get hold of somebody who will go back with you, the right kind of mediator to bring resolution. 